morning, everybody. Is there a better way to start your week than having the choir on a Sunday? I don't think so. I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's possible, okay? Hey, uh, special welcome to those of you who are with us for uh, the first time. If I haven't met you yet, I know I met several new folks uh, before the service. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to be able to do that. Uh, if you just uh, have a minute or two, I'm right down in front here after uh, the service. I want to say a huge thank you to the 100-plus men that gathered here last Thursday night helping us launch our ministry to men. Yeah, it was so great. Gentlemen, circle uh, the date on your uh, calendars for April. We're going to have a men's weekend at Lost Canyon. And really, that is sort of that stake in the ground moment for us uh, as we give uh, more life, right, more flesh and blood to our ministry to men. So that's in April. Be looking for that. And then also, March 20th, we are going to be celebrating baptisms here in the service, one of our favorite kinds of Sunday. So that means next Sunday, March 6th, we're having an orientation. And I've said it many times, the way I share it is like this. If, you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you haven't been baptized yet, then you kind of have some unfinished business with God. What is baptism? The word literally means to identify. So baptism is all about identifying yourself with Jesus Christ. And in that sense, as you share your personal testimony, see, God is in the business of transforming lives. As you share your testimony, it becomes an inspiration and a blessing to your brothers and sisters in Christ. So orientation is March 6th. I think that's next Sunday. And then the actual baptisms are on March 20th. So lastly, you know, we have, uh, we have some folks in our congregation that have relatives living in Ukraine. And so for the last few weeks, you know, we have been praying, but I just wanted to take a moment in the services uh, and pray corporately as a body together. So will you join me? Father, as has been so evident in our study through the book of Genesis, the heart of man is capable of uh, incredible evil and Father, we're seeing that on display. So God, right now we ask that you would bring heavy conviction, heavy conviction upon all those who are causing pain and suffering. God, ultimately, we know that your desire is that none would perish, but that everyone would come to know you. We pray for a movement of your Holy Spirit Father, we pray for those who are suffering, families. Father, we pray for our Christian brothers and sisters for the church in Ukraine. As we hear stories of their bravery, their boldness, their courage, as they become the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to people who so desperately need it. Father, I pray that you continue to impress upon our hearts the need to lift this up before you. Nothing catches you by surprise. You see it all and you know it all. So, Father, we entrust this into your hands, praying according to the scriptures that you would bring peace that brings, that, that actually, it surpasses all human understanding, guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. All for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're in Genesis chapter 6. Just by way of review, last week we looked at the first section, and what we saw 
was the pre-flood condition on the earth. And in one word, deplorable. We learned two things. There is a demonization of culture, a literal demonization of culture. And the text tells us, if you can imagine, every thought and every intention from man was evil continuously. It's a very carefully constructed sentence in the original language meant to emphasize the state, the condition of mankind. And so what happens is God takes notice, and the primary feeling or emotion from God is actually not one of anger, but it is one of sorrow. The text literally says that God was saddened. And because God is merciful, he's about to bring an end to it. This ever downward spiral of humanity, God says, I'm going to mercifully put an end to this theater of violence that has occurred on the planet. But there's this one guy, there's this one man who is close to God. He's the only man on the planet that God is speaking to, and his name is Noah. Now, when uh, people hear the name Noah, many people are familiar with a, you know, a big boat, lots of animals, uh, judgment, and a whole lot of water. None of those things is the point of the account. None of them is. The point of the account is this. What does it take to be saved? That's actually the message of Noah. What does it take to be saved? And so the place I want to begin is by focusing on what the New Testament has to say about Noah. So in the New Testament, the authors actually look backwards, and as they reflect upon the narrative of Noah, they say, what is it that we want to learn from it? Why is that account there? And in Hebrews chapter 11, we read this, by faith, Noah, who was warned by God concerning events as yet seen. God spoke of something that was forthcoming, but these events, nobody had ever experienced anything like it, including Noah. In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So the New Testament author tells us that Noah was a man who teaches us how to live by faith. Question, what is faith? Essentially, faith is trust. It's trusting in God when you can't see the outcome. So with that, we're going to pick it up in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. It says, these are the generations of Noah. Now, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. So we learn three things about Noah that indicate why he was God's man. The first thing... He was righteous. What does that mean? Well, he wasn't perfect, okay? He wasn't sinless, as we're going to see in a few chapters. When he gets off the boat, some weird stuff happens. So he wasn't sinless, but he was righteous. The word righteous means to do right acts. In other words, he lived his life in a way that was pleasing to God. Secondly, we're told that he is blameless, which means he is above reproach. In other words, there was great consistency between what he practiced and what he preached. Again, wasn't sinless, wasn't perfect, but there was consistency in his life between what he practiced and what he preached. And then thirdly, it says that he walked with God. This, this word walk is interesting. Literally, it, it indicates uh, the course or the path of one's life. In Noah's case, 
every step he took was directed by God because he had a close relationship with God. And when you have a close relationship with God, what happens is the course, the path of your life begins to unfold. You don't know what the future holds, but what you know is that each step you take is directed by God. And so these three characteristics we know are what set Noah apart. Now, let's consider the world around Noah. We talked a little bit about this last week, but verses 11 and 12. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. Look at this. For all flesh, all of it, everyone had corrupted their way on the earth. So, Again, as we saw last week, there was this demonic amplification of evil in the world. And Noah is the only one to whom God is speaking. He's the only one. He's the only one. Can you imagine what life was like for this man? He's swimming upstream. He's going against the flow. There is tremendous societal pressure against him. And don't we all know what that's like? Don't we all have a little taste of that? I mean, be real. The pressure to conform, it starts in preschool. <laughs> you know? It starts like when we're toddlers. And then you get to elementary school, and it's there. And junior high, and it's amplified. Then you, need a high, then you go to college. And college is supposed to be the hotbed of higher education. It's the hotbed of free thinkers. But it's been said that college is the place where nonconformists go to conform to nonconformist ideology. And that's true. You'll be accepted based on your conformity to nonconformist ideas. It's like that moment in um, kindergarten when um, I realized something, right? When the teacher looks at each student and says, Sally, you're unique. There's nobody like you. And Billy, you're unique. And Johnny, you're unique. And Jason, you're unique. And I remember, his, you know, you have this thought, yes, I'm unique, just like everybody else. <laughs> right? And so there are these certain pockets of society that say, come join us. We're the nonconformists. But you better conform to what we say. So if you read through the Bible... What you find are men and women who are absolutely revolutionary. Jesus is the ultimate example. You want to be a nonconformist? Pattern your life after Jesus Christ. Noah was the only one that God was speaking to. Can you imagine being so close to God that you alone are hearing his voice? Hey, Noah, I'm about to do something big. In fact, it's so big, you can't even begin to understand what I'm about to do. But you're just going to have to 
trust me. You see, I've got a, an entirely new plan for the earth, and I want you to help me. Verse 13, and God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. And Noah's like, say what? Uh, <laughs> can you repeat that? You're going to do what? Uh, what does the New Testament say we are to learn about the account of Noah? By faith, he built the ark. Noah didn't get a lot of clues. <laughs> he didn't get a lot of details. Notice, there's more faith here than you realize. There's no instructions as to how to build a helm or a rudder. It's like God says, I'm, I, I am the director of this little cruise, and I'm also the captain. Don't worry about that. Just start chopping wood. Just start making the vessel. What is this idea of a flood? I, I think Noah would have been familiar with at least some kind of flood back in the day. You know, rivers can flood their banks. But this kind of flood that destroys everything, now, now that's, that's beyond the realm of his understanding. Oh, and by the way, the nearest body of water, uh, anywhere close to floating a boat like this, you're talking over 100 miles away. So here's this dude in the, in the middle, of the, you know, he's just like in the middle of and the water around, and massive structure is built. By faith, he built the ark. Understand that this had to make no sense to Noah whatsoever. But here's the thing, and I've learned this in my, in my own life. When God leads you to do something that seems to make no sense, He's about to do something really big. Now, let me say that again. When God leads you to do something that makes no human sense, be prepared for God to do something really, really big, especially when he's leading you to do something that is, watch this now, contrary to human nature. 
when you say, God, I'm not so sure I want to do that, God is about to do something really, really big. So God gives Noah very specific instructions on how to build the ark. Any of you been to Williamstown, Kentucky, to the ark experience? Okay. Let's throw, throw some pictures up there, can we please? So this is a life-size replication of the ark, uh, 510 feet long, 85 feet wide, 51 feet high. By the way, this word ark in the Hebrew language is used in one other place in the Bible. You know where it's used? You know where else it shows up? This word is used to describe the little basket that Moses was placed in. Isn't that interesting? See, it's not really about the size of the vessel. It's God's intention and how he's going to use it to save. There's a lot of parallels between Noah and Moses. God would spare Noah through these floodwaters. God would use Moses to spare the people from the floodwaters of the Red Sea. God would give Noah specific instructions on how to build the ark. God would give Moses specific instructions on how to build the tabernacle. God spoke and said, here's what I'm about to do. No timing, just Noah, get to work. And after 120 years, it's completed. Verse 22 says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Total and complete obedience. There's no irritation, no complaining. Why? Because he was close to God. Those who don't like obeying God don't have a close walk with God. Um, they, they, might, um, you know, they might show up at church a few times a year. Maybe they throw a, a few bucks in, uh, in, in the offering box. Um, but what, what, we're lo- what we're looking at here is a moment-by-moment relationship that this man had with the God who created him. Imagine, imagine yourself chopping wood and forming wood for a hundred years. A hundred years. What do you think his attitude was like? Hebrews eleven seven says that he did it with reverence. That word reverence means awe. In other words, when God spoke to Noah, he was in awe of what God was about to do. I can't believe it. I'm in awe of what God is going to do. And I'm in awe that he would use me to help accomplish his plans. Chopping wood for 100 years with an attitude of worship. We said it last week. He was worshiping, and he was working, and he was witnessing, and he proclaimed his faith with his life. Whoa, time out. He proclaimed his faith with his life. How about you? What do you proclaim with your life? What do you, let me ask you this. Is social media an extension of who you are? Absolutely. What do you proclaim with your social media feed? What do you proclaim with your words? Right, because in in this case, as as, we're about to see more of, working, witnessing, because he was walking, and clearly, you know, you, you understand that the world is not silent about what it believes. So, Christian, why are you? The world is not silent about what it believes. Why are you? What does your life proclaim? 
about your faith in the God who created you. Notice, because of what Noah did, his entire family was saved. This is a great example. I just kind of picture this, you know, his boys are like, Dad, are you going out in the forest again? It's like been, you know, decades. Yeah, and let me remind you why. Because God spoke to me, and this is what he said, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Hey, why don't you grab an ax and join me? See, this is great, right? Because this is more, and it's a very good thing, don't get me wrong, but this is more than just attending church or even bringing your kids to church. This is allowing your kids to see your faith demonstrated in your life. Uh, Now, we can't force faith upon anyone, including our children, but we can live our lives in such a way as to make it easier for them. 120 years at work, boat was completed, and then it happened. I mentioned it last week. Drip. 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 See, Noah, no indication in the text that it rained before this, but the earth was watered from underground, perhaps through a process of evaporation and condensation. But he was doing the work of God until God told him how it was going to happen and showed him how it was going to happen, right? And the ground bursts forth, fountains of the deep, and the sky opens up. And the language is really cool if we had time. The text says that the waters begin to pervade. And then it says the waters begin to greatly pervade. And there's this imagery of just this water growing and growing and growing. Uh, There's no indication that Noah's witness was proven right until that first drop of rain. Here's the lesson for me. When I feel like giving up, remember, Jason, that you are walking with God, and there isn't one drop of rain yet. Don't give up, and don't quit, because one day, and you might have to wait for a long time, but one day, the day will come when it will all become crystal clear. And if you're walking with God, make no mistake about it. There will come a day when the world will know that God is walking with you. That day's going to come. So chin up, Christian. Chin up. There's there's, uh, this moment where Noah turns to his family and says, okay, everybody, get in. And then the animals start coming. And most people think that there are two of each animal. That's not actually entirely accurate. Uh, Genesis 7 says, take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all 
the earth. So a pair of animals that are not clean and seven pairs of animals that are clean. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, we get a list of what some of these an clean animals might be. Why seven pairs? Well, when Noah gets off the boat, one of his first, first acts is to sacrifice and to make to worship God. And so if you're sacrificing the clean animals and you've only got, you know, one pair of them, then that's it for, for their kind. But if you've got multiple pairs, then you've got others that can populate the earth. So this makes perfect sense. Um, now, we, we need to speak to this issue because one of the main reasons why the account of the ark, and like I said, I'm using the word account and not the word story, because in our time, story, for many people, puts it in the realm of mythology, but this is not written in the style of mythology, it's written in the style of history. People say, there is no way there could be room for millions of animals on one boat, even a boat this size. Um, response is this, there may not have been as many animals on the ark as you think. And here's why. The specific language used in Genesis chapter 6 is very interesting and enlightening. Chapter 6, verse 20 says this. Of the birds, according to their kinds, and of the animals, according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground, according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. So the English word kind comes from the Hebrew word mean. And it appears not to refer so much to every single animal within a species, but rather to a genealogical type. For example, let's use the dog world, right? Um, within the dog species, you have different varieties and kinds. Um, it's kind of crazy to think that a Great Dane and a Chihuahua have the same common ancestor. They are of the same species. They are of the same kind, along with uh, foxes and wolves. They're all within the same species. So if the understanding is, is accurate and mean refers to a genealogical type, then what you have are the two genealogical types that then give rise to all the variety of species that we currently have. So if this is a proper understanding, the number of animals on the ark would be greatly reduced. The family gets in, shuts the door, and the waters overwhelm the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. It rains. The fountains of the deep open up, and Noah and his family are on the boat for about a year until the waters subside. It's often asked, is this a universal flood or a local flood? Again, one of the reasons why some people dismiss the account. The evidence, geological evidence, I won't go into a ton of detail, but I will go into some. The, ge the geological evidence for a worldwide flood is, in my opinion, it's quite overwhelming. Um, there are sea life fossils in the Himalayas. There are marine fossils on every single continent. Now, let's focus it to our own backyard here in Arizona, the Grand Canyon. It's really interesting, the Grand Canyon, right? You may be aware that modern geologists are beginning to abandon the idea that the canyon was formed by the river over millions and millions and millions of years. And one of the reasons why they're abandoning, abandoning this idea is because over that same amount of time, millions and millions of years, you would expect the canyon walls to have eroded far more than they are now. 
So the canyon walls should not be as high as they are just because of natural erosion processes over tens and hundreds of millions of years. The canyon walls should also be much slower. There are also these geological abnormalities all throughout the, the canyon. I'll just highlight a couple of them for you. You can Google the words great unconformity. And what you see is, and I'm not making this up, there is literally one billion years worth of rock, a layer of rock that is missing. It's, it's just not there. It should be there, but it's missing. Over the course of time, millions of years, right, sediment gets laid down one on top of the other, and you've got some, this 20 million year old sediment, 40 year old million year old sediment, 60 million year old sediment. But then all of a sudden, we have a billion year gap, a billion years that's absolutely missing. Additionally, there are these geological, ah, you just, they're just hard, they're impossible to explain by modern definitions or evolutionary standards of how the canyon was formed. There are these anomalies called undulations and they're, they're quite staggering and they're actually quite beautiful. So you would think again that over the course of time, millions of years, these sedimentary layers get laid down, right, flat and evenly, and you see these, the stratification in the canyon. But there are parts of the canyon walls where the strata is not laid down evenly. What you see is strata shaped like a horseshoe. It's bent like a horseshoe. So you have a really old layer down below and it's bending upwards through layer that isn't as old. So you have old layers bending up. You can see this is like shaped in the shape of a horseshoe, hardened, hardened rock. You know, how does that happen? Well, perhaps the canyon wasn't formed over hundreds of million years, but rather it was formed over days. And as those sedimentary layers get laid down, what happens? The ground begins to shift. And while they're still wet, those layers fold over on top of each other, and then they harden. So Tom Vale, for a long time, I don't know if this is still the case, but I know for a long time, Tom Vale was the only creationist river guide in the canyon. I had the privilege of going on a trip with him. His story is very interesting. He was an atheist, as were most of the guides at this time, and he had his training under one of the best river guides. And as he was leading these trips, uh, he, he just had to ignore all the things that we're talking about and more because they didn't fit the evolutionary story. This didn't fit, so he had to ignore them until one time he went on a rafting trip with some pastors and some Christian geologists, and he was presented a new theory, and he became a believer. He wrote a book called The Grand Canyon Speaks, which I highly recommend. Along with that is a video by Del Tackett. Some of you might be familiar with Del Tackett who runs The Truth Project. Del Tackett has formed a video. It's called uh, Genesis, Is It History? You can rent it or buy it on Amazon Prime. He does an excellent job of let me just put it to you this way. He does an excellent job of sharing things that your science teacher did not tell you, okay? That you did not learn in college, right? If you look at what happened with Mount St. Helens when it blew up, right? Do you know the topography, the landscape of Mount St. Helens before? I mean, we're talking just 30, 40 years ago and what it is now. It looks like a completely different landscape. 
What happened in just 40 years? So Mount, Mount St. Helens blows up and it just wipes the landscape clean. And then it starts to rain and it rains and it rains and it rains. And now what was flat land, you have these massive canyons and valleys that literally happened in a matter of weeks. And it's a completely different landscape. The landscape pre-flood is vastly different than the landscape when Noah opened up that door and walked out of that ark. The power of water is incredible. So check out Del Tackett's video of Genesis, Is It History? Now, having said all that, I'm out of time. Let me just say this. The author doesn't really focus on the the geology of the story. What does he focus on? He focuses on Noah's faith. That's the point of the story. God still saves people the same way today. It is a matter of faith. What is faith? It is trusting in what you cannot see. And even when I say that, I feel like I have to qualify it. Because we live on this side of the cross, and I've always said and I've always believed since I gave my life to Christ when I was 17 years old, to be a Christian takes a very little amount of faith in comparison to other world religions. Because the mountain of evidence we have living on this side of the cross, it takes very little faith for me to be a Christian, to be quite, quite, quite honest with you. That's why I've said if you're open-minded and open-hearted, you will probably be persuaded by the evidence that God has provided. So here's the question for you. How's your faith? Christian, to God, a thousand years is like a day. The world so often, especially now, it feels like it's crumbling and caving in. There will come a day when the world will know that not only were you walking with God, but that God is walking with you. Christian, be encouraged. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you have every reason to be discouraged and be straight up with you. Because God creates, he decreates, he recreates, and there will be another decreation event. And it won't happen through flood. Read the last part of Revelation, uh, uh, it's gnarly. How do we know that's happening? We know that God did it once. He's going to do it again. How do you avoid that day? That's the story of Noah, by faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, if you would, please. Why? Just to free yourself from any distractions. Some of you are here, and you're hearing this for the first time. This is the most important part of our time together. God is righteous and holy, and he has to deal with the wrongs that we do, and we're all guilty of it, all of us. See, that's, one of the, that's the other message in the flood. The heart of man is deceitful, and it's wicked, and it's in all of us. And God can't turn a blind eye to that. And so judgment comes. God doesn't delight in it. His emotion is sorrow and sadness. But he's just and he's holy and he has to deal with it. So if it's your desire to cling to what is another form of of, of wood, right? The wood of the cross that brings salvation. You do that just by telling the God who created you, that's what I believe, that's what I need. I recognize that I do wrong. That's what the Bible calls sin. I hurt others, I hurt myself. But Jesus is the way to escape what is to come. 
So before Jesus left, of all things, he said, remember my death, which was done for you, to give you a way of escape. So what we're about to do is what Christians have done since the time of Jesus in the first century, again, because Jesus commanded us to. If you're here and you're not a believer in Christ, you can just let this time pass from you. This is for those of us that are in anticipation of our own rescue through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll give you a moment just to reflect and to meditate. Father, we pray that the good words of this true account would change us, that we would see Noah as the example of faith. So many of us, you know, it's like you're asking us to see in the dark, but at the same time, you're leading us through it. And there isn't yet a drop of rain, but we know one day there will be. So in anticipation of that day, we do walk by faith. And we take great confidence in trusting in what Jesus has done in our behalf for his glory and for our blessing, we ask it. And God's people said, amen.